0: Again, SMMarketingSociety.com.
1: Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by LG Doucette, and we're going to explore sports and Web3 and NFT business models that you can learn, whether you're a sporting fan or not, and apply to your business. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter and at Web3 Examiner on Warpcast. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with LG Doucette.
1: Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today I'm very excited to be joined by LG Doucette. If you don't know who LG is, he's a Web3 brand consultant who helps businesses with Web3 go-to-market strategy. He's also the founder of The First Mint, a Web3 sports community, and he's also co-host of The First Mint podcast. LG, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Uh, I feel pretty good, man you know another day in web 3 and uh, tons of fun as usual in the nft world
0: today lg and i will explore what's been going on in web 3 and sports and how the sporting industry will onboard a lot of people into web 3 whether you are a sports fanatic or not i do think you're going to want to pay attention to this conversation now before we go there lg i'd love to hear your story how'd you get into nft start wherever you want to start
1: <laughs> For sure. I'll start pretty early, man. So I was in the social media brand game very early, like 2009, 2010. And back around that time when, you know, brands were like, hey, I, this, is, this is super confusing. And you had to spend like two hours explaining what a Facebook page was to a CMO. So I started there and I've been working in digital content ever since. And up until the pandemic started, I was actually running a small commercial film studio in Vancouver, Canada, where, you know, we're making digital content, like tons of fun, epic film, Instagram videos and and some broadcasts too. So kind of bridging that gap between them.
0: When you say film, do you mean like film that's in the theaters or do you mean? No,
1: we call we like to call it film, but we're just making ads. (laughs) Okay. Oh, got it. We're just, we just try and think of it as a little bit more artsy than, uh, you know, just taking the client brief and making 130 different Instagram cuts.
0: Specifically ads for social or ads for television or all? Both.
1: Yeah, we were doing a bit of both and having tons of fun and, you know, doing some pretty big work. We were doing truck commercials, yoga pant commercials, if you know which maybe brand I'm talking about. I think I might. Uh, So it it was a ton of fun. And uh, honestly, the business, you know, I was helping to run, like we were having a fantastic year, but then, like a lot of other people, you know, around exactly now, three years ago, you know, we got hit by a sledgehammer, which was COVID. And especially for live production, you know, where we'd be getting 100 people together on set for a week that was indefinitely impossible right so like a lot of other people in that spring of 2020 you know i was staying at home and i had a lot of extra time on my hands and was looking for something kind of new to do you know like production if anybody's ever worked on like a you know music video or a commercial or a film you know that it's like an absolute grind like it is exhausting right you're talking like 18 19 hour days especially somebody kind of running the shoot as the producer so I took that as a bit of a cue of, you know, I'm getting a little older, this is getting exhausting, it's fun, but what else is out there? And I had a few buddies who'd been working in decentralized finance, DeFi, in crypto, which was kind of the hot thing at the time. They were going through something called DeFi summer, which was kind of like a huge boon in that space, kind of right before the the larger crypto boom of 2021. And I had a few buddies working in that space and they told me they, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I want to learn more about crypto. Where's a good place to start? And they're like, well, come learn about the wonderful world of decentralized finance. And Michael, you know, I I spent like hours, you know, like a lot of other people, like laying in the park, isolated from other people, like the only space I could go outside, reading blogs and watching videos and being like, I'm going to learn this. And honestly, after a couple of months, I was like, this is Brutal. Like, and and my buddies who were in DeFi, They're like, you need to come into the space and you need to make content about it because you're the content guy and we're a bunch of nerds. And we need you to come and explain decentralized finance to everybody. And after learning about it, Michael, I was like, no, like most people don't even understand their own basic like index fund investing. Like, there's no way they're ever gonna learn all this, like staking, you know, all these yield farms. Like, there's no way. But what I did find during that time as I was doing my research was something called NFTs. And that even to my like, you know, DeFi bro buddies, they're like, yeah, NFTs is kind of an interesting thing. Maybe that'll take off again one day. And what I found in my research was a project called NBA Top Shot. And when I found NBA Top Shot, which are basically like, like trading cards on blockchain, but they're videos, they're highlights of actual plays that happen in basketball games. I also realized that it was a licensed product from the NBA. And I was like, oh my God, the NBA is actually already here. Like the NBA has a full-on crypto product.
0: When you found it, was it just launched or had it been out for a while? And how much were one of the, how much were one of these things in the beginning, just out of curiosity? It had
1: just launched. So they launched in July of 2020. And I I think I started my account the last week of August of 2020. So they had maybe two or three hundred users, and most of the NFTs were a dollar. Wow. And I'm talking like The best players in the league and their like debut moments, the NFTs are called moments because it's a play. Like we're talking like Nikola Jokic, who's going to be the three time in a row MVP this year. Like you could buy his first card, digital NFT card for a dollar.
0: Was it actually in US currency just out of curiosity? Yes. Okay, cool. So keep going. So you found Top Shots. And by the way, Top Shots is one of the big entry points for a lot of people that I've interviewed on this show. So what happened after you, you, I'm assuming you bought a couple of them, right?
1: Yeah, I bought a couple, right? And again, you have to remind yourself, like, keep keep in mind, like, this is pandemic. I'm thinking about a career transition. We're starting, you know, late summer. We're starting to film again. And it's it's super, super heavy filming where it's like everybody's wearing, you're wearing a mask for like 18 hours a day. And you have like, you have to hire like three safety officers on set. And, I, and I'm questioning, I'm like, okay, we're starting up again. Do I want to stay in film or... I kind of want to pursue this NFT thing, but like literally jumping with no parachute. Like, I, I don't know anybody in the industry. I just know a couple other nerds I'm talking, you know, talking within Discord, which Discord is an app at that point that I've just discovered. That's <laughs> this like super chat room tool. And I start spending a bit of money, right? I start buying my favorite players. You know, I'm a Toronto Raptors fan. So I buy a couple of Kyle Lowry's. I start learning about the different rarities. I start chatting with other collectors. Everybody's anonymous. So you don't know who these people are. You don't know who you're talking to. and then that kind of opens my eyes to the rest of the NFT world, right? And I start learning about how, you know, some companies are building video games where you can own the levels and own the land. And it started to kind of open my eyes of like, okay, I kind of see, I see what's going on here, right? I see the, the kind of the value of the digital ownership idea of having kind of you know, people own digital exclusive assets, which for many people, again, that's a hard sell, especially sports cards. They're like, I want to hold it. Why would, I, why would it just be in the computer? Right. So I'm kind of, you know, in that transition point where it's taking me a couple of weeks, a couple months to kind of wrap my head around that. But then as a content person, you know, I started looking for opportunities. Right. So actually way back then, this is before I started the first mint, I pitched this company, this project called Blockly, which are like digital. NFT golfers, like you buy the NFT of the golfer, and then you compete in it in tournaments and you could win money. Then you could win like one ETH for a tournament, which was, which was a decent amount. Well, I mean, that was like ETH was like 350 bucks back then, but still decent that you can win that with NFTs. And I hit these guys up and they were doing a bunch of art drops where they were doing, Hey, we're going to drop, uh, golfers designed by really cool artists. And they were going to drop this and they weren't doing any fanfare about it. And I hit them up and I was like, listen, you know, that's a really big deal. What you're doing, you're drop, you're collaborating with these artists. Uh, Why don't we host a little show about it? Why don't we hop into your discord? And, you know, I've hosted some shows before, like, which was, you know,
0: was a clubhouse. Is that where you kind of got your hosting or? No, there was,
1: we weren't even on clubhouse yet. We were in discord, like in the discord voice chat and they agreed and I hosted uh, uh, an artist called Tommy Wilson, who's also a minor league baseball player. And he was doing a drop on this thing called Blockly. And we had maybe 15 people attend. We had a nice like 30 minute conversation. And afterwards the people at Blockly, you know, really wonderful people. They were like, Hey, like you're really good at this about talking about NFTs. Like you should keep doing it. And a month later, I started the first Mint to talk about NBA Topshop.
0: Fascinating story. Bring us up to kind of like, you know, in the next few minutes, kind of what you're doing now, you know, obviously that was, that feels like forever ago in this industry, right? Like you're definitely an OG for a podcaster in this space, but kind of bring us up to the present. Now what's happened with the podcast and the other stuff that you got going on.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the podcast, unlike maybe a lot of other podcasts in in the space that started slow, slowly accumulated audience, and then eventually kind of, you know, had that hockey stick growth. It was the total opposite. I started the show and three weeks later, top shot totally exploded, right? Like you said, a lot of your guests, that was kind of their genesis moment. And probably for a lot of those people, when they came to Top Shot and they're like, where is there some content that I can consume about this? Because there was no blogs, there's no podcasts, there's no videos. The first mint was it because in just a couple of weeks, I made some I made some nice like intro videos. I made a bunch of podcasts explaining what it was. I was having some of the top collectors on and we went from. First episode, you know, 10 of my buddies listened to it to, to, to thousands within a month, which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but it was definitely a little bit overwhelming. So we kind of rode that wave for a couple months talking about Topshop. For all of 2021, we covered that product. And what we decided to do over time, because by the end of 2021, as you may recall, Michael, the NFT world had expanded and completely exploded, right? Apes had taken over, people buying CryptoPunks, all yeah, these big the, names. Big friends, are getting yeah, into- Gary V. Yep. Exactly. V friends, like tons of big names are getting into the space. So, you know, I think it was a little, I didn't want to stay too siloed and just stay on one product or one platform. So what we did in 2022 was kind of start to expand to a few, you know, start talking about other NFTs and kind of make it easy for our community, right? Because the deeper you go in crypto and you know this, uh, the little bit more complicated it gets and the more, you know, the more you want to Uh, get deep on certain collections the more you have to really become a degen and learn all these new wallets and, and, and get into all these communities and read all this alpha i didn't i didn't want to start a community down that road i wanted to keep it like really like kind of simple and 101 because the thing with top shot is that it brought in a lot of people who were sports gamblers sports bettors and they didn't necessarily want to start learning about like seed phrases and all that other kind of stuff kind of the same premonition i'd had mike when i when i learned about DeFi. and i was like this is a little too complex for most people let's keep it simple so basically you know we kind of transitioned over time from hey we're just an nba top shot podcast trying to you know educate you on what it is to kind of covering the broader sports world because there've been a lot of other projects that have launched a lot of other leagues have licensed their ip and put it into the nft space and we kind of act as like you know you, if you want to give it an analogy you could call us like the espn or the ringer of The space where we try and cover a little bit of everything and kind of whatever the main story is or the hottest drop is, specifically in the sports space, as as sports being something that people can understand, they can understand, they can one hundred percent understand that like a Giannis Antetokounmpo is more valuable than a you know no name bench warmer in the NBA, right? That's a that's a simple thing, as opposed to going to look at like what's the difference between a board ape and a crypto punk? I don't know, right?
0: (laughs) What I love about your story is clearly you have been creating content in this space for a while longer than, for example, a lot of the others that are obviously fellow friends who are podcasting in this space. And you have a unique perspective. A lot of people listening to this podcast are creators, entrepreneurs, and marketers. And some of them are into sports, but not all of them are into sports. We're going to get to the sports side in just a second, but many of the people listening are in a learning phase, right? Because we're trying to understand the business model and the upsides of NFTs and some of them are skeptical. So let's just start with like your perspective on why NFTs are important. Like from your perspective, what problem is NFT solving for?
1: Absolutely. And I'll caveat this by saying that many, many solutions in NFTs or a lot of people who try and maybe sell you on NFTs, especially you go to a party and you meet an NFT person, they are trying to fit a square peg in a round hole where there's a lot of people out there. Are trying to fit nfts into places where we don't necessarily need nfts uh and i think that that's what turns a lot of people off so i'll just caveat that if you've had that experience that's okay there are a lot of other really valuable use cases but it's okay that sometimes you know people are trying to force fit it into places where you don't you don't necessarily need it yet but in terms of why they they are important to me i think probably the best use case or even reasoning i've heard is that we already spend so much time looking at our phones. And we as a consumer or as a user have spent the last like 10 to 15 years infusing so much value into other platforms through our attention, to our screens, through our you know computer, through you know, the phone. And, and and you're and I'm talking social media apps, right? Where it's like we are the product, right? You hear that so much that it's like we're our data, our, you know, all that is being used as the product for them to make billions. We are so tuned to spending time digitally in, in in this digital space, but without really ever getting too much value back for what we contribute. And I'm not saying that overnight, you know, there's going to be these web three social media platforms that immediately like make you rich for being a user. That's not at all what I mean. I mean, in the sense that you as a participant in a community don't really get to crew value as as a community as a collective in your digital format. So I'm getting I'm getting a little whimsical right now, but what I'm saying is that what I foresee in in the digital space with web3 is communities like think about like little Facebook group, Facebook groups you might be part of, WhatsApp groups, other forms that you participate in subreddits is a really great example of like groups coming together and exchanging value, whether it's just information about housing rates or whatever other kind of subgroups of gaming, whatever there is. Those groups now through NFTs have the chance to create their own value, their own like art membership, like whatever that's going to be within that group to formalize that group and to kind of pull together funds, right? Like that's what it comes down to is that those smaller subgroups can now actually either raise capital by selling NFTs to themselves are all participating in creating that kind of Web3 collective of NFTs. And doing something with it where you can actually get value from being in a group either early or long term through these digital assets that are certified on blockchain, right? So that's, that's where I feel like I've been a participant in the internet for 25 years, and I've never been able to capture the value that I've provided and I've received back and forth from my digital communities. And I think that NFTs, and, and honestly, for me, the bigger proposition of blockchain is that, is that kind of like authenticity of community
0: power. You know, I really love what you're talking about, and I want to dig in a little bit more on it just by adding my own comments here. I've been an entrepreneur since the 90s, and when you have customers that are buying your products, usually the value transfer is that they buy the product, they use the product, and they have a great experience. Or when you have customers who are consuming media, right, and you're a media company and you're creating media, the value is they're learning something or they're getting entertained or educated, and that's the end of the exchange. What I love about this new layer that's coming on top of it is this ownership layer, right? The idea that you can be rewarded for free, for example, by being early, an early supporter of a community that ultimately builds something. And that thing that you're awarded could be an NFT, which could eventually accrue value, which you could sell later if you're no longer interested in being part of that community. In addition, that value transfer imputes kind of Without saying a security, you feel like you're an owner in a way that you don't feel like you're an owner when you're in a Facebook group or where you're in a discord without, you know, an NFT project tied to it. There's that extra level of ownership because people always want to be part of something. And it's exciting to be able to say, I was part of the whatever, you know, like, you know, there's going to be big businesses are going to be eventually built on the back of all these NFT projects. I think that is a cool layer that any creator Artist, entrepreneur, future sports teams, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it brings all sorts of cool stuff to the table. Now I want to transition into sporting. So now let's talk about the sport industry, right? Why are they primed for potential disruption or primed for? adoption of Web3. Let's talk about that a little bit.
1: <laughs> Michael, are you? who's your favorite sports
0: team? The Packers is probably going to be my favorite. team. Okay,
1: yeah. so how do you, let's say you go out and watch the Packers and, you know, Monday Night Football and you're, you're going to the bar and you're meeting some friends or whatever. And you meet some randoms at the bar. So you get in a conversation about, you know, the Brett Favre era, the Aaron Rodgers era or prior eras. And you're talking, you, you guys are having this great fandom conversation, this big, you know, Packers nerd kind of fun thing. And one guy says, well, you know, I went to all these games back in this day, so I'm a bigger fan than you are. Yeah. What do you do to then prove that you're a bigger fan than him? Be like, I had all the, you know, bobbleheads in my room back in the day. You start having this conversation, right, about, hey, you know, I'm a bigger fan for this reason. Yeah, well, I was there. And it kind of because you don't necessarily, it doesn't always end up in this one upping kind of thing, but you are kind of flexing. Right. You're like, well, you know what? I was watching this game where this and this happened. Well, I was uh, field level tickets for that game. Right. You kind of have this conversation. That's one of the best parts of sports. Right. Is reminiscing. It's so nostalgic of like where you were when this thing happened, how hardcore you are about your team or your favorite athlete or whatever that is. Right. There's no way to quantify any of that. Right. It's all hearsay. I could come to your local bar and tell and convince everybody I'm the biggest Packers fan ever just by reading the Wikipedia page. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like there's no way to actually track that. Maybe you've got the receipts, but honestly, do you still have your your game tickets from the 90s? Maybe. Right. But that is where I see the most potential for 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 web three in sports, is that it's going to completely revolutionize like loyalty and like proof of fandom so that you can properly say I was there. And I don't necessarily just mean game tickets. I mean, watching the games, right? Being there, like owning jerseys, like owning rare collectibles, everything else that you could ever say, like, Hey, this was really important at this point in the the timeline of this team, this country, this athlete, whatever that is. I think that that's what web three is going to give us.
0: Well, and the other side of it for people that aren't sports fanatics is it's just like people that are music fanatics, right? They want to have they want to buy all the stuff around it right they want to wear the clothing and all this kind of stuff and i would imagine with nfts obviously there's so much right like isn't the nfl somehow embracing nfts or am i I wrong on that i don't know if they are they've
1: got yeah they've got a partnership with Dapper labs it's called nfl all day it's it's a lot like top shot yeah
0: but i guess the question is like what about the flip side of it like do you feel like this is also going to allow people to eventually buy sporting teams? Like you know, Gary Vaynerchuk for the longest time said he wanted to buy the Jets, right? Do you think this is possible that he could eventually fund the purchasing of the Jets?
1: Totally. I just want to I just want to rewind for a second back to your point about music and make uh, give you another analogy that I, I've heard used and and I think is really fantastic for for NFTs. There is music by far is the moment where you really want to say like, Hey, I knew this band before they were big. That is the big, but there's, again, there's no way to quantify that. Like you saw, like, who's your favorite band? Give me a, give me a band that you enjoy.
0: Anybody. Gosh, that's a wonderful question. I'm going to have to, I'll just, cause I'm going to say sting. He's one of my faves.
1: Okay, Sting. So let's say, how can you prove that you saw Sting at this obscure concert in some small bar before anybody knew who he was? There's no way to do that. That ticket doesn't exist. But now in the future, it will. Like I think beyond just the big, 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 big names of today, like the Rihannas or the Biebers or whatever, I think it actually has more potential for the small names. It's like, hey, your local bar, this band's coming through. There's going to be 10 people there. If that ticket to the show can be an NFT and you can hold it just valueless, doesn't matter. 20 years later, that band becomes Coldplay or U2 or whoever, right? Some monster band. They, as the band, will always be able to know, be like, hey, you know who was there at our first tour? Like, we've got the receipts. We've got the addresses of the first hundred people. And then you guys, the fans, will be able to say, be like, no, no, I actually knew these guys before they were big. I got the receipt. You know, like, I think that that's like a great way to kind of see into the future of where this technology could bring you in 20 years is that even getting those NFTs now could be could be proof of something, especially when we get into the hands of smaller creators like indie bands or even think back to sports, uh, NIL athletes right? Like people that are not in the bigs yet, but that are starting to issue some kind of NFTs for seeing them or whatever, that could be something.
0: Well, and you start to think about the athletes and all the different sports industries, they move from team to team, right? So if there's a way that the athlete somehow issues officially some sort of an NFT, you could collect all those and you could be a fan and say you knew him or her when he or she w- was on this team, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff, yeah, right? So exactly. there's this collectible mentality in the sporting world that obviously gets unlocked with Web3. Let's unlock this a little bit more by talking about what's been done in sports with NFTs. You already talked about Top Shot a little bit. What are some of the other examples that you think the good and the bad? Let's start with a couple of goods and then we can start with a couple of of not so goods.
1: So in its current form, and we will come back to like the Dow and Gary V Jets conversation and stuff in terms of like where the future is going. But I'll tell you right now, if you want to take a snapshot of the industry, it's split into two different forms. One is fantasy sports. Right. And if you ever played fantasy sports or, or daily fantasy sports, it's pretty straightforward. If you haven't, it's basically like, okay, tonight's game is the Lakers against the Clippers, and you have to pick the five players that you think are going to score the most points. Right. So you're like, okay, LeBron, you know, Kawhi Leonard, whatever. And then you pick, and if you, you score better than everybody else, you get a payout. That's how DraftKings works in FanDuel. So what they've done, both DraftKings and another company called So which is from France and has like $700 million of funding, huge business, they have basically turn that daily fantasy sports experience into NFTs. So rather than just picking on a screen which players you think will score the most points, you have to go buy their NFT cards and then submit in a lineup. So it's it's, it's very, very adjacent. Like it's like literally just one step to the right of the exact same thing that we have right now with that added kind of proof of ownership and a bit of a different gamification layer. So what's good about that is that it's been very simple to onboard people. A company like DraftKings has been able to tap into their like millions and millions of people like user base and also bring in a lot of liquidity because companies like DraftKings have some really big players on it uh in terms of individual well, you know and i want to unwrap this yeah. a little
0: bit because like this sounds really fascinating does this mean there's a limited number of or is it unlimited right like i can imagine each team has maybe x number of players that you're allowed to buy but that's not a scalable business obviously for DraftKings, right so how do they how do they do that are some players more expensive to purchase than others based on their track records and stuff like that or how does that all work
1: uh, they approach it. Every company kind of approaches it differently in terms of how they want to gamify it. So someone like DraftKings will release the players in packs. So similar to Top Shot, where it's like you uh. buy this pack and hopefully you get a good player in it. But then you can also buy them on the marketplace and then they'll they'll split them up into tiers of rarity. Right. So you can get an Aaron Rodgers, a common rare or legendary. And if you hold a legendary, then you get to participate in the legendary contest with other people who also own legendary cards of any player. And compete against them. So it's kind of like they have a tiered model for the pay-to-play aspect. So if you're somebody who wants to go and spend twenty thousand dollars buying these cards, you're going to compete against other people who also spent that, but there'll be a much bigger payout for it, right? So they've already kind of split it.
0: Can can you use these cards year after year, or do you have to buy new cards every season?
1: So what they've done, uh, what so rare has done, is they each card when you play it, it crews like an like an experience point, right? So kind of which you, develops into a boost right? So let's say you've used a card like a hundred times, you get a 5% boost on every single time that card scores any points. Um, and what they do is every new season of cards, because they sell them every year, they give those cards an artificial boost that they only have for that season, right? So right now, so rare has a first season of NBA and all those cards have this extra 5% boost or more. And at the end of the season, they'll lose it. And the next season will have a 5% boost. So that's worth buying for new users. However, those first season cards still accrue their own percentage boost on their own that eventually will add up to more than the new season. So they've designed a system where if you're a new user, you're incentivized to buy at the newest supply. And if you're an OG user, you've been using cards that have developed all this extra experience point uh, percentage that eventually over time will give you a larger advantage.
0: This is fascinating, the concept of packs. Now, that's not generally an Ethereum-based NFT project. I'm assuming it's on some other platform, right? Like, do you know what they're- DraftKings is on Polygon. Okay. So like, how much does it typically cost to buy a pack and how many are in a pack? And then, what happens if you already have like an Aaron Rodgers and you get an extra Aaron Rodgers? Can you trade these on the secondary? Is that how this works? Yeah,
1: sell it, sell it, absolutely, man. You pull two Aaron Rodgers, you better sell one of them, man. I'll tell you that much because <laughs> somebody else is going to want that for sure, especially because you can use them towards these kind of paid contests. So, right now, I'll give you an example: DraftKings just did a PGA drop, so it's the first PGA Professional Golf Association Golfers Association. It's their first licensed NFT drop, basically, and same concept where you get the cards in packs and then. And you play them in contests, including the player's championship that just started today. So they had two levels of packs, very expensive. So they had a basic pack where you get a mix of kind of rarity of cards. And those were $200 each. And then they had a premium tier of packs that haven't sold out yet. The first ones did for $2,000 each.
0: Do you get like just a couple of cards typically in a pack? Or do you have a sense of really like? Two I think or those
1: are eight cards per
0: pack. Wow. Okay. So I would imagine people that are listening right now are like, Ooh, this is really a fascinating business model. The idea of the idea of having a pack of cards that you're getting. And obviously in this case, these are mapped to real human beings. Right. And I would imagine you could just have a Model where you're just selling cards, whether or not you compete with them or not. Right? I mean, from a collector perspective.
1: So that's the second part of kind of what the business is right now. So you've got fantasy sports, right, where it's like you get these cards either in packs or at auction, which is what so rare is, where they're just auction them off through the season, and you play them in contests. That's the utility. There's nothing. You don't do anything else with them. You just you just play them in contests, daily fantasy contests. And um, the bad of that, because you wanted the good and the bad, is that it's a little repetitive, it's a little boring. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, do we really need NFTs for this? Because fantasy sports already works super well. It's already an enormous business. Does that need NFTs or not? We don't know. And and I think they're having trouble attracting a lot of new users for that reason, exactly. The other part you're touching on, the pack idea is the collectible side, the collectibles market, which is what Top Shot did to kind of sports is create these digital collectibles and bring millions of people in, or at least introduce them to the idea of it. And you've got for the, I'd say that the collectibles market is much bigger in sports NFTs because you have Dapper Labs, which created NBA Top Shot. They have the license to the NBA, the NFL, UFC, as well as La Liga, which is
0: uh, the kind of stuff. Is that an exclusive or non exclusive? Do you know?
1: Exclusive for video highlight collectibles. Wow, that's a pretty big license. And they've got the EPL coming as well, English Premier League. So they'll have the f- first and second biggest soccer leagues in the world, basically. And maybe more. Who knows? I don't even know what else they'd have. The NHL is one that's still floating around there that, that, I don't know who has the license to it, and we've never seen NFTs from them, but that's that's another big one that's that we haven't seen. And what happened when Dapper kind of blew everything up the start of 2021 is a lot of companies came in and started following the same model. They're like, well, let's go get some league licenses and start setting, selling literally videos that you can find on YouTube, selling them for a premium. And you know, we have to remember, Michael, too, is that like start of 2021... Sports leagues were starting up again, but they're playing in empty arenas, right? If you remember that first NBA season after the bubble, like they're playing, they're touring, but like they're, they're playing in empty places.
0: I remember the basketball games where they had fake pictures of people in the audience. That was in the
1: bubble in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. So So this is a time in the sports world where it's like revenues are down. There's no butts in the seats. You don't, there's no vaccine yet. You don't know when things are going to start up again. It's a murky future. So these leagues are like, yes, of course. Oh my God. The NBA is making millions of dollars selling just the same videos that already exist. Sign me up. So one of the companies that you had come up was Candy Digital, which is a Gary Vaynerchuk founded company that got the license from the MLB to start selling the the exact same idea, like highlights from baseball games.
0: Okay. And how'd that work out?
1: Well, if you ever collected sports cars in the 90s, or you may remember this, you will know that Topps and the other companies oversupplied the market to death because the more people were buying the more they kept making them and this happens with every major collectible out there even even the, one of the stories this week i don't know if you follow the collectibles world funko pop like you know those kind of bobbleheads that are everywhere right oh, now yeah, like yeah, those new yeah. ones yeah. they like they are burning like 46 million dollars worth of supply this week because they have too much and people are saying this might be the beginning of the end of like the hottest collectible item of the last 10 years, right? So they, same thing, greedy, getting a little bit oversupplied. What happened to Topshot, which was the lead of the industry, and I would say still is, they oversupplied. They had 200,000 users come in in a two-month span who only wanted these Top Shot things. The prices were going crazy, and they said they were going to mint to demand, and what that's turned into is them minting millions of new NFTs every year and a user base that's under ten thousand monthly buyers, right? And that has happened to every other digital collectible in the sports world.
0: Talk to me a little bit about autograph. Let's talk about that story. I mean, we talked about the good, and now I think we're going to talk about the not so good. What's going on with that story?
1: <laughs> yes. So, uh, and the last thing I'll say about the digital collectibles, like Top Shot, again, the, the value proposition is still there. That it's like it's like a sports card, but. It's, it's a sports card. If you ever had one, you have to send it in to get it graded. And it's a messy process, whereas this is like a digital version of it. So that the, the core concept is sound to me. It makes a lot of sense. So I think that there's still a lot of uh, potential there for sports and for leagues and for athletes. I think just a bit of a transition period right now in the bear market. Autograph, one of my favorite stories <laughs> of the sports world. So Autograph is a company that was founded by Tom Brady, right? Just about two years ago. And his 24-year-old next door neighbor named Dylan Rosenblatt, whose father is Richard Rosenblatt, who is kind of a a bit of a tech mogul who was, uh, you know, involved with like MySpace and a lot of other companies back in the 90s and 2000s. And so, you know, kind of a, a big American entrepreneur and they were next door neighbors. So as NFTs boomed, clearly they had some kind of conversations about like, hey, why don't we get in on this? And they started a company called Autograph that was kind of like Top Shot digital collectibles, but... They are autographed by major athletes, and they literally have videos of like Rafael Nadal signing an iPad and that signature going onto these digital cards, right? So they signed Tiger Woods, Naomi Osaka, Wayne Gretzky, Derek Jeter, all like the biggest legendary names, of course, using like Tom Brady's clout and influence to go and recruit them, being like, NFTs are the hottest this is summer 2021. NFTs are the hottest thing right now. Tom Brady is putting together a platform for it. Yeah, And
0: for those outside of America and don't know who Tom Brady is, he's pretty much like the greatest, he's the, the most winning quarterback of all times, right? I mean, is there anybody who's ever won more Super Bowls than him? Nobody, right?
1: No, no. Tom Brady is, you know, one of the top, top three, most influential people in North American sports right now, I would yeah, say, you know, yeah. in terms of, 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 what they can, I guess, recently, recently active athletes. Yeah, So
0: he has incredible clout, obviously, right? Incredible is- clout. And they raised
1: $200 million for this platform. Wow. They raised $200 million in this is middle of 2021, right? So everybody wants pieces NFT action and man, there's few names better than Tom Brady. What happens then Tom Brady plays one more season of football, right? The end of uh, like 2021, 2022 season. And at the end of that, he says, I'm retiring and I'm going to work full-time on autograph. Isn't that going to be great? Everybody's like, whoo, keep selling. And Autograph is pumping out NFTs, cranking them out. People are buying them out. Usain Bolt is one of them. Like every legendary top tier athlete you can think of that's current is signed up to this platform. And as we all, if you do follow football, you may remember this, is that shortly thereafter, Tom Brady said, no, I'm not retiring. Come back for one more season. And, you know, that was around the time last spring, you know, just over a year ago, just under a year ago. The where bear the market, market started. The crypto market started yeah. to, yeah, started to whittle. So a little bit uncertain. You've got the guy that this is formed around kind of stepping away from the platform. He's got to play football. And you have kind of the CEO is, is, is someone who's 24, which is not always a bad thing, but know without much experience who who knows and this company just to understand like like the main investor of this company the person who led their round is a16z which is like the biggest investor in the space like a massive company with like such smart influential people And Autograph has gone through a really rough time. They've had trouble fulfilling promises to their holders. They've had to renege on a lot of different stuff. They've been, you know, they've, there's been rumors of like people going to like a meet and greet with Tom Brady, but Tom Brady like literally waves at them for two seconds and then keeps going a lot of different reports there. I spoke to a lot of different top tier collectors of Autograph and kind of gave me a lot of different stories. Probably the worst one was they said, Hey, we're going to do an AMA like a question Q and A with Tom Brady in the discord, right? And Tom Brady came into the Discord. He started answering people's questions. But then the community, somebody noticed on Twitter that Tom Brady was actually at practice during that time. And, you know, it's totally possible. Maybe standing on the sidelines of practice doing his Q&A, but they literally went and messaged the sideline reporter, like the person who reports on the Bucks and asked like, hey, do the players have phones during practice? And the reporter said, no, you're not allowed to have your phone for like five hours during practice. There's no way Tom Brady was online. So it turned out that the Tom Brady in the Discord was a fake. It wasn't him. They pretended to be him uh, to do this thing. So that thing's- Maybe it was a Tom
0: Brady (laughs) Jr. If there even is such a person. That is horrible. So, okay. yeah. So so obviously, and, and folks that are listening to this, these, unfortunately, are the stories with NFT projects everywhere. It's not just in the sporting industry. It's, there's a lot of this kind of stuff that's going on. What I want to ask you is, looking into the future, thinking about how sports could be a massive onboarding for people in Web3, right? Let's talk about like, what the business models are that you see that are coming next in the sports industry. And I want folks to pay attention to this because, obviously, this could apply to others than just the sports industry.
1: Totally. So there are two areas. One is loyalty, and the other one's ownership, which you touched on briefly. So loyalty, I think, starts in in two places, right? And this is again, I'm looking ahead because we've got our collectibles, we've got our fantasy sports, but it's like, what what is going to come next, and why? How are how are all these sports platforms, sports leagues, going to get all their millions of fans? These leagues have millions and millions and millions of fans. How many people watch like the World Cup of soccer final? Like like five hundred million or something like that. So it's a, sports is a huge market. Tickets is the first part of loyalty that I think is going to be massive. Dapper Labs, which uh, created Topshot and all these other sports platforms, they have a deal with Ticketmaster where it's very much in beta. But they issued tickets to a uh, hundred NFL games this past season. So if you went to the game, you were able to go online and claim your NFT ticket. Very low key; they're testing it. So you know, I've pried them for more information, haven't been able to get more. Ticketmaster issues 500 million tickets a year, not just to sports and, and music and everything else, but like, think about that. Like they are already, and most of those are digital now, Michael, right? Like anytime you go to a show or sport thing that like you have your little QR code yeah. loaded up in your phone with your other tickets, like your plane tickets. So think about that as like a place where we already have the infrastructure of the fans are getting digital tickets very few of those are NFTs, if not none, that's a place where I would go and build a business right now, isn't ticketing, right? And and there's a few other kind of- So know, is the
0: loyalty t- side of this going to be like rewarding people who are regular customers? Is that kind of like what Starbucks is doing right now? Like if you go to every game in the season, you're going to earn a special tier. Is that kind of where we're going with something like this?
1: Absolutely. I think take it even further. I think you, I think you could do so much more than that. I think like a, a ticket, t- to me, like a ticket is such a-, a, a you know, think like Willy Wonka, golden ticket. Think back when you went to your first Sting concert and you bought the ticket at the record shop and you held it and you're like, mwah, 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 I can't wait to go to the show. And then after the show, you had it, you know, it was ripped in half and you held it home and you put it on your little poster board, right? And you're like, Oh, this is the this that encapsulates my experience. I think there's such a deep emotional tie to a ticket. That we've kind of lost in the digital era. So I think whichever teams, creators, athletes, whoever can tap into that properly, it'll be way beyond, hey, go to 15 games this year, you'll get some free pizza. I think it's way beyond that. I think there's so it's such a deep emotion.
0: Yeah, like exclusive meet and greets and all that kind of stuff, right?
1: It could be so. It doesn't have to be the team's giving giving the benefits. It could be the fan groups coming up with their own benefits, right? Like that's again back to like the clout of fandom. It's like yeah, sure, I want the team to give me a meet and greet and a jersey, but it's like what about my supporter group? What about my Packers super fan group, my Packers subreddit, right? Like I want that trail of tickets and and those become available to me as a fan, as a casual fan, to start collecting those. One hundred percent, I want them. And even if you can't go to games, the second part of loyalty is watch to earn, which we were chatting about before, which is something that, you know, you sit down and watch so much TV, like sports has been trying to evolve the watching experience for so long. Now there's text to do this, go on social media, post your photo. There's so there's such an expansion of what the sports viewing experience is like, and sports want to keep pushing that envelope. We have been fortunate the first minute to be working with Bleacher Report on a project called Watch to Earn with NBA on TNT. NBA on TNT is a kind of like a show for the NBA, like a halftime show for the NBA that has Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, and has been long, long time running uh, one of the classic, classic shows of NBA culture. And this is like Time Warner running this. Like This is one of the biggest media companies in the world testing with a watch to earn, basically how it works. And I'm not plugging it, but you know, we are working with them, is that while you're watching the show, a little QR code comes up, you go to the website, you answer trivia questions, and then you earn NFTs from doing that.
0: And you probably have to do it before the show is over with, right? That kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's timed. Oh, yeah. When it pops up, you have to do it instantly.
0: That's smart, too, because you don't know when it's going to pop up, right? Like, I see people do this on live shows all the time, too, where they randomly will have a little PO app or whatever, right? right. And they'll say, yes. here's the secret word. Yeah. And you have until a certain amount of time, and then it locks closed. Let's talk about the community ownership a little bit in House. I want to I want to hear your, your thoughts on what they're doing.
1: Kraus House is a group that for that we met about 2 years ago. They've formed a DAO, right? Decentralized autonomous organization where it's 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 built and operated by the community and their goal is to own an NBA team. And that is massive. And that's something where a lot of owners in the NBA Don't want some group of random internet yahoos owning a team and doing all this crazy stuff. But they actually came close to being minority owners on the Phoenix Suns, which recently sold. So they're making inroads. They own a big three team, which is kind of like a smaller NBA league or a basketball league. And they are learning to work as a team, as a group of owners of people that own these tickets that they sold to kind of raise funds. And their goal is to own like an NBA team and to to make decisions as a unit, as a community on what their ownership stake should represent.
0: Are you familiar with what Linkstow is doing by chance? The yeah, golf? of course. Tell yeah. us, tell us yeah, a little yeah. bit about that story.
1: So Linkstow, a very similar idea, but instead of saying, you know, there's not really like a, a team golf unit team for them to go by or athlete or anything like that. What they have done is kind of, that's actually an almost bigger idea, Michael, because they are web three for golf. And what that means is they're bringing together web like golf enthusiasts, from all over the world and giving them community ownership over what they recently purchased, a golf course in Scotland.
0: Oh wow, they actually did purchase it, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, they did. And that's a price. Prices went crazy last week when they did.
0: So do you have any backstory and how that worked exactly? Just so people can wrap their head around that. I mean, you're familiar with it enough. Like did people have to own an NFT to be part of the DAO or what was the story on that? Do you know?
1: That's basically what it was. Yeah. Is that they started links as saying, Hey, we're going to go make inroads in the golf world. We want to buy golf courses and we want to give all our owners access to it. So basically like we're starting like a web three membership club for golf, but instead of being tied to, Hey, just, you know, our local golf course or whatever, we're kind of going to build some. Something bigger in the space and be like the place where golf and web three meet so there one of their goals was to buy a golf course and and there's a really nice one that came up for sale in scotland for just under a million dollars and they went and bought it and the people from what i understand the people who own those nfts will be able to go and play that golf course that's so cool and and the dow will operate the golf course and, and reap the benefits from it and make profit from it right like it's like they're gonna be it's like a company but it is owned and operated by this larger group of people.
0: That's a fascinating use case. Where do you see all this going? Like, just give me kind of like, look into the future, like five years from now, let's say, where do you see Web3 sports kind of going? Do you think we're going to see mass adoption in the next five years?
1: Yes, I think so. I don't think, I think like a lot of things in Web3, it's gonna come in a way that you don't really realize you are necessarily like buying NFTs. I think like the time for like, I love NFTs and I wanna learn about them and buy them all. Like, I think that that's done, right? And a lot of normal people are kind of really, you know, averse to NFTs. I think what it's going to take is companies like Dapper and Ticketmaster, like really working on solutions and seeding it into places where people already are. I think you have to meet fans where they are. So something like Starbucks is such a fantastic example and Reddit NFTs of like, listen, we've already got millions of users, people that own the app. Let's give them something fun in that app where it's like, they don't really need to change their habits to do anything different, but now they get to have NFTs seed that and then kind of have it, you know, flower later. So I think for sports, some of those seeds are being put down right now but I think it's really come down to honestly a lot of it comes down to a lot like in sports Michael the appetite for revenue from the leagues and whether they think they can make money because sports is very much a money making business these leagues want to make money the athletes want to make money they want to raise their salary caps they want to you know negotiate bigger TV deals so wherever the leagues can think of new ways to sell things to people but then also have people watch and consume the league more and the sport more, is where this will evolve. So some of the areas we just touched on, like community ownership, maybe, but definitely like loyalty, I think is a place that's really going to expand. I would love for there to be tickets for literally every single viewing and attendance experience. I think that's a really easy place to start.
0: You know, when you start thinking about non-team sports, things like Frisbee and things like pickleball and things like all these kind of things, you know what I mean? Well, pickleball maybe is a sports, but like, there's all sorts of possibilities that open up with sports, don't you think? I mean, as far as like going, like I, I love Frisbee, right? So imagine going to various Frisbee locations and being able to document like with some sort of a POAP or NFT, all these different places that you played in these tournaments that you played in. I mean, I could just see this being a really fascinating, I don't know, way to kind of authenticate on the chain, something that's coming. I mean, something I've done
1: a thousand percent. Right. And you think back to social media that it really took off when people were able to start making their own. It was easy for people to make their own Facebook pages and Instagram accounts for little things that they love. Right. So it's like for a local Frisbee golf course, people were able to make an Instagram account and be like, Hey, this is our little community thing for this park. We're all going to, we're going to post nice photos. And that, that's what really kind of You know, gave the tools back to everyday creators. So I think, you know, at the big league level, yes, like, let's do tickets, let's drive revenue, drive fandom. And I think at the everyday level, like you're saying, for just the casual, uh, uh, you know, everyday athlete, let's, that's what we can refer to you and I as um, having some of those tools, it's going to be vital. Michael, right? Like, let's say you want to host a tournament, a frisbee tournament once a year with your friends, you know, 20 people show up. It's like, once it's really easy for you to give them all POAPs or whatever other kind of little thing like that, and it's easier for them to receive it, right? They've got an app on their phone, that up, 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 like a Venmo. Then I think then that's when you'll see a true explosion of what that is. Because again, people want that proof. Who doesn't want a POAP for like everything they do every day?
0: Well, and think about every athlete in in school right now, that's a kid, right? Imagine in the future, if every little achievement they get is somehow on chain, right? Every trophy, every touchdown, every home run, every strikeout. I mean, you start to think about all this stuff. I would imagine that would be a really cool way of like permanently recording the record of someone who could turn out to be a really powerful athlete. I mean, there's no end to these possibilities. LG, this has been fascinating discussion. If people want to connect with you first, what's your preferred social platform. And then secondly, where do they track you down and listen to your podcast and all this fun stuff? We
1: are all Twitter in the NFT world. So you can find me at LG Set or at The First Mint is the best place to find us. And then you can you can hit up our website, thefirstmint.com. That is super basic, but mainly to go check out our Substack and our podcast. That's where it's at.
0: Well, and for those that are listening to the podcast, the last name is spelled, it's L-G-D-O-U-C-E-T, French, right? So that's right. So L-G-D-O-U-C-E-T, Uh, LG Doucette, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights with me. Thank you, Michael. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W67. And if you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter and at Web3 Examiner on Warpcast. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day, and may Web3 continue to change your world.
1: The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research.
0: Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.